Uh, welcome, everybody. If uh, you don't have one of these, this is what we call a Bible. And if you don't have one, raise your hand. Somebody, uh, one of our ushers actually has some extra ones here for you. Um, but I'm going to be reading out of Nehemiah today, uh, chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites and all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem, from the villages of Netophathite, also from, the, from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south of the wall to the dung gate, and then after, after them went Hosiah and half the leaders to J- Judah. Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain and certain of the priests, sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zechur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Ezra, Maliah, Galilah, Maya, Nathanael, uh, Judah, Haniah, and the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them at the fountain, at the fountain gate. They went up, they went straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim. And by the gate of Yeshanai, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hanel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, the priests of Eliakim, Messani, Minimum, Micaiah, Illinois, Zechariah, and Haniah, with trumpets. Messaniah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehoam, Mekeljah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with uh, Jezriah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms and contributions, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather them in portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the town for Judah. Rejoice over the priests and Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. And for long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, There were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions 
for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that's, that what, what was which for the sons of Aaron. That's for the word of God and for Nate, who readeth the word of God. Now, you know why I've been reading uh, in the last uh, couple of uh, weeks? Um, because those, I, I, don't, I don't want to spring that on anyone. And even when you have lots of time to prepare, it still is a, a tough slug. Uh, but again, um, just, just a reminder, those are real people. We read those names out uh, in, in some ways to honor them and to thank them for their involvement in, in the rebuilding of this wall. But let me begin where we probably should begin. Um, uh, my name is Trev. I'm pastor of Urban Grace here. Uh, and we're glad that you have joined us. This, I guess this is the long weekend officially. So this is the long Sunday of the weekend. And glad you're here. We hope that here you can hear about something that we care the most about, and that is Jesus. We care greatly about Jesus. Everything that we do is about Jesus. All of our songs are geared toward Jesus. All of the message is geared to giving you information about Jesus and how that good news, it's also called the gospel, they're conveniently displayed for you in case you miss it. Um, we want you to hear about the gospel over and over again because we think this is the best news you could hear. Uh, we're in a series on Nehemiah, and we'll get to that in a bit. But one of the things I wanted to do was give you kind of a, a few announcements that explain kind of where we're going in the, in the future here. Uh, we're almost through our series in Nehemiah. No more reading of names for a while. No one cheered. That's kind of cool, actually. Well, some of you don't like reading names, but um, it's quite an exercise in patience for us. But in, in every way, the Bible says all of Scripture is worthwhile to read and to talk about Jesus from. And it's been a challenge at times in Nehemiah, but I think it's been a great exercise for us. But we're going to shift gears from Nehemiah. We're actually going to move into a series sometime in June, depending on how this lands. I think we had to bump things around a bit. Uh, one Sunday, so I think it's the mid-June or maybe the third week in June, somewhere in there, uh, which technically is the middle of June. Uh, we're going to dig into a series on Proverbs and go through this series, and we're going to learn a lot of cool stuff from Proverbs. Um, some of you have read Proverbs. Some of you have used Proverbs as a way to understand wisdom. We're going to tell you that Proverbs is about Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, but we're going to show you every week how the book of Proverbs is about Jesus. Actually, the Bible describes wisdom as the personification of God or as God, the personification of God is in wisdom. And so we're going to show you that there are wise things in Proverbs, but they are not disconnected from the good news of Jesus Christ, who is, in essence, wisdom. I'm excited about this series. I'm kind of, I always get excited about the new things that are coming up. Uh, so that's new. Uh, next week, we're going to take a break, though, though, from Nehemiah, and we're going to do um, a church planting Sunday. And uh, this church planting Sunday is something that all Acts 29 churches, well, not all of them, most of them, the ones that are obedient anyways, um, are setting aside one Sunday of the year to just concentrate on church planting. I know some of you are like, okay, well, we're finally done church planting. Actually, we've just begun. I don't know if you know this, but this is a church plant, and we're not satisfied with just planting this church. We want to plant a lot of churches. 
Yeah, we want to see the gospel go out in a lot of different ways. We don't have one specific way that we want to do this. Some ways, I think, uh, we're going to have different campuses at different times in different places of the city. Basically, we'll reproduce our service. This is the easy way of church planting because we already got some things in place. We don't need to come up with a new style to do things. We've got people to serve. And so I want you to start thinking about that uh, because you may very well be participating in this. And we may be asking you in the very short future to participate in this. Um, But we're also talking and praying about having someone come in as an intern and then we want to send them out as well. That's a different way of church planting. It's it's more geared to where that person is at, but we're interested in planting that way. Third way, we want to support church plants. Our budget is not that big, but what budget we do have, we literally are scraping 10% of our budget off. So the money that you give to us to steward, we're taking 10% of that. And we're giving it to church planting this year. Uh, We're looking very seriously. We're like 99.5. Maybe there's like 0.5 of a percent. Is that right? Uh, That (laughs) I'm a preacher. I'm not a math guy. Okay. Don't judge me. But we're uh, we're looking at planting and giving some some funds, uh, pretty much all of our funds to the province of Quebec. Uh, Quebec is one of not just the most unreached part of our country. It's one of the most unreached parts in the entire world. It probably makes top five of the most unreached places in all the world, uh, but probably doesn't get enough credit uh, for this because, to be honest, out here in Western Canada, we typically haven't liked the French very much and we don't pay attention to what's going on there very much. Uh, but they need Jesus and they need churches that preach and love Jesus and sing about Jesus and we've got a guy there, a fellow, uh, a, a fellow soldier that's actually also Acts 29. He's a great guy. His wife is a great woman. And they're doing a great work in the uh, city of Sherbrooke. And they've got a guy. They've got uh, a core group of about 100 people ready to go. All they're looking for is money. And I can't wait to give him. Uh, I'm going to talk with him on Tuesday. I can't wait to tell him how much we're going to give. It's not probably much in his big budget, but for us it is a big deal. Uh, we'll show you the video next week. We'll connect you to this person. Hopefully at some point we can have him out here. Um, he's a little bit like a French MMA guy, so he's like GSP. Maybe not quite as built as GSP, but he's pretty close. Um, he's a tough-looking dude who uh, has, has taken a lot of shots in Quebec for preaching the gospel and standing, uh, standing firm in the faith. And we want to kind of just support him, not just with our prayers, um, but with our finances as well. We're really excited about this. The place that they're looking to send this church planter is in a city called Magog. Um, apparently, it has one out of a city of 26,000 people and a greater area of about 56,000 people. There is one evangelical church of 130 people. Think about that for a second. One. Like, you don't choose anymore where you go to church if you want to hear the gospel. They need a church that preach, more churches that preach the gospel. And so uh, we're excited about that. Um, and next week we'll actually be taking a special offering for it. So please think this through as you work your budget out this week. If there's anything extra you can give on top of what you're giving to Urban Grace specifically for this, please consider this. Please consider your participation in this. Um, it would be great to be able to, uh, again, uh, support him that way, support them that way, and be involved in bringing the gospel to our, our country. Uh, I think that's it. So let's pray, and uh, we'll get right into it. Jesus, we thank you for your word.
We thank you that here there, there are more churches. But I pray we would not be satisfied with just a couple of churches thinking, thinking that everyone can clearly understand. We understand, Jesus, that there are lots of different people in our city and lots of ways that the gospel can be proclaimed in this city. And help us to not be selfish with our resources, but instead generous like you are. And to give generously to our city, to churches in our city, with our time and our resources, Jesus. Would you help us with that? And now as we open up your word, Jesus, um, again, from an ancient book of Nehemiah, we've got uh, about 2,500 years separating us, Jesus, and so we need a miracle. We need you to bring your Holy Spirit to us this morning so that we can hear clearly from you. We need to know today, Jesus, how your gospel um, is talked about even here in the text and Jesus, would you be so kind as to send us a, a, just a calmness that we can understand the topic and the issue this morning? Uh, be with me and my words. Uh, be with those who are here in their hearts and help us to hear clearly again from you, Jesus. In your awesome and holy name I pray. Amen. Well, for the most part, we're looking at um, the personal journals of Nehemiah. Uh, what, that, that's basically the entire book. We're well over half done. We've essentially only got one more chapter after this, but that's actually three messages because there are some really good things in this book. Catch up to speed as to where we are in the series. We've called it Magnus Civitus, which literally means great city uh, because we believe that this book will be very helpful to us in understanding how to bring the gospel to our city in, in a way that's very helpful to our city. We really do believe here at Urban Grace that if people, more people believe the gospel, they will make this a great city. That's what people who actually love Jesus will do. They will serve others. They will pray for others. They will help others. They will share with others. They will live in community. And so when the true good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is heard and lived out, this will have an impact on our city and will make our city better. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what, our city doesn't believe this. I know that because most of the times I hear a really another church, is there a, is there a real reason why you have yet another church coming to the city? Don't we have enough? Don't churches take up space and buildings and time and money and all these things? And uh, that's why we do things really simply here. At Urban Grace, we just say we're going to bring grace to the city through the big and through the small. We're going to have one service and then we're going to pack people into homes and have the gospel apply in their lives uh, and have the gospel go deep and have them served in their communities. We call that the big and the small. If you're interested in more about that, there's more info on our website. Uh, talk to anyone here. They know the spiel. They'll be able to tell you anyone who's been here for more than three weeks can give the spiel on the big and the small. So you don't have to hear it always from me. But essentially, uh, that's what this series is about, because that's what we find actually in the book of Nehemiah. What we find out is a man who has been convicted 
by God. He's had his heart broken by God to leave his good, cushy job in a cubicle in Persia, leave that great job, come to the city of Jerusalem and start from scratch, rebuild the entire city wall of Jerusalem so that Jerusalem can recapture some of the essence of what it used to be. That is the central glorious place where God's presence came to the people. So if you wanted to know about the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, you would go to Jerusalem to see what happened there and to experience God for yourself. That had been gone for about 141 years and Nehemiah comes back and he begins to rebuild the walls. Now, in those days, we have to understand that rebuilding the city walls was essentially like rebuilding the city because the city could not be protected in those days unless it had walls. And so first, about 50 years earlier, the temple had been rebuilt and people were like, well, we need some walls built around this temple so that we can protect the presence of God. And that's exactly what had happened. And through a number of stories, you have to read the entire book to get a sense of this. But what happens is Nehemiah faces over and over again opposition and he has to literally look opposition in the face and say, I don't have time for this. I'm busy creating a great city for God so that God God can have a resting place. And that's basically the first seven chapters of Nehemiah. It's constant opposition. We've called those guys Sanballat and Tobiah. And they've come and they've, they've opposed. You see, Sanballat and Tobiah, they did not want this city to go because they knew if people really got a hold of the worship of the God of Israel, it would change everything. And Nehemiah knew that too. And that's why he was so strong about his call. And so in 52 days, this wall has been built. Now, again, I say this over and over again. In 52 days, I think we had like the maximum of three core group gatherings in 52 days. I'm not sure how it was actually pulled off. It was so difficult to understand that some commentators say, this is a typo. He meant a year in 52 days. Because it just seems so difficult. But the text actually says... 52 days. And one commentator says, I think you just got to go with what the text says. It's this much of a miracle. Now, when we see miracles, this is usually what happens. We begin to understand who or what we worship. That's what today is all about. It's about worship. Now, some of you are saying, well, we just worshiped a few minutes ago. Tom, let us in worship. And what I want to do this morning is try and broaden and expand your understanding of the word worship. Worship is kind of a funny word. It actually comes from the phrase worship. So we worship something that we give worth or value to. And so if we define worship like that, worship, if you will, we essentially are all worshippers. Some of you came in this morning and said, I'm not ready for worship. Too late, you're already worshiping. As the Bible describes what a true worshiper is, the question is not, will you worship? The question is, who or what will you worship? Today, we see a lot of, I think, really helpful things. Because what Nehemiah does is he understands that he can't just build a city about God. He has to have people in that city spreading the joy of that God. People, worshipers in the city. 
It's not enough simply to build a city. It's not enough to bring a church. We have to have true worshipers. And so if we want to have true worshipers, we need to understand what true worship is about. This is what Bill Clem says very simply. It's a really complex phrase. I want you to remember it. We are called disciples of Jesus Christ, and a disciple is a worshiper. Do you think you can remember that? I tried to compact it. Bill Clem did it the best. A disciple is a worshiper. Every disciple is a worshiper. And I would say every person is a worshiper, but every disciple is a worshiper of Jesus, maybe, is all I would add. We're worshipers of Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, we have to, again, uh, clarify what this is all about. So the first, we'll just dive right into it here. This is weird. That's probably, for those of you who are new, that's the shortest introduction I have ever had in my entire life. So you're lucky. You're welcome. It's a little gift on the good weekend. But let's dive right into it. What is true worship about? What is true worship about? True worship is about God. I know that seems like stating the obvious, but most of the times, in fact, guys, even let's just call them geniuses, people like Steve Jobs say stating the obvious is actually a sign of genius. So in some ways, I'm a genius this morning, right? But let's just state this. True worship is about God. True worship, not just worship. True worship is about God. Where do I see that? All the way through the text. I see the direction of everyone in this text that it's all about God. Sometimes we get in this idea that worship is about what we do, who we are. No, it's not. True worship is about who God is. Now, I would say you cannot truly worship God until you know what God is about. You can worship your concept of God. I hear this regularly. Have you ever heard this phrase or have you ever said this phrase? I like to think about God as blank. Anyone ever done that? Someone said, well, you know, God is like this. And someone said, well, I don't really like to think of God like that. And I always respond, well, why don't we let God tell us what he would like us to think of him? That true worship is about what God thinks of God. God thinks he is the most gracious, merciful person. That may sound arrogant to you, but he is the most gracious person in the entire world, the being, I guess. And true worship is about him. And I would say you can't truly worship him if you can't understand who he is and what he has done for you. That's why we remind you every week about Jesus Christ. This church does not gather because we like music, although we like music. This church does not gather because we want something to do on Sunday mornings. Most of you could find better things, other things to do with your morning. This church is not about keeping me with a salary, although this church helps keep me with a salary. What is this church ultimately about? It's about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And this is the gospel. This is the God that we worship. You say, God, Jesus, which is it? I always trick my, my kids with this. Who is more important, Jesus or God? And my kids always respond like, Dad, that's a dumb question. They're, you can't separate the two. Right. Right answer. That's good. So when we talk about the true worship of God, we're saying the true worship of Jesus, who claimed to be God. And Jesus who claimed to be God, was also fully man. Right there, I heard all of your men just kind of go, boom, because it's hard to understand that. 
We can't really understand how Jesus is fully man and fully God, but that's what he claimed to be. And he claimed that he was coming to bring the presence of God to our world. But there was a problem. We talked about this last week. There was a problem because we're really sinful and he is really holy. And unless there's some sort of give, we're going to have an issue. Here's the give, the cross. At the cross, we find how, how much God wanted to bring his presence to us. He said, you're really sinful. All of your sin it just makes me mad. It, it makes me, and I want to punish it. Now, don't judge God in your hearts right now because there are many of us here who love to watch other people get punished for their sin. It's why reality television has taken off like it has. Because we love to watch this person punish that person, don't we? Secretly, even not so secretly. We love to see how people get what's coming to them. We love to see that. Because there's something in us that's like God. We image God that way and we want ultimate justice for things. If you don't think that's true, just go to a courthouse after someone who has been in that courtroom and as you've experienced kind of a drunk driver who's killed an innocent person. There are people outside of that courtroom that will stand there and say, finally, justice or some form of justice. That's because we're creating the image of God. And so God wanting to punish sin, knowing he needs to punish sin if he's going to be a good, righteous God, said, I know what. I will punish sin, but I won't punish you for your sin. I'll punish me for your sin. How can I do that? Well, I'll send my son, Jesus Christ, who will stand in the gap for you. He will, he will live the life you should have lived and take the punishment you should deserve. And this comes together beautifully in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe you can truly worship God, no matter how much you try in your own mind, if you don't understand that that's what God has done for you. But when you do understand that, I think you will worship God. Truly. And if you don't this morning, I beg you, please ask God, help me understand this. Because when you truly understand what God has done for you in its full effect, I do believe you will worship God in your heart. And so that's the first point. True worship is about God. It's worthy. He's worthy of getting excited about. When these uh, people were building uh, the wall and they finished the wall, I mean, uh, no offense to Nate. I'm, I'm, I'm not pick it, picking on you, Nate. But, but he, he read it like this. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. With all due respect to Nate, this should be like this. And at the dedication of the wall. Why? Because they knew God had accomplished it. They knew it was God who had done all this. And you see that throughout the text. All they can think about is like, I am so excited. That's why sometimes we get into preaching and it's like, when I begin even standing here preaching to really understand the depth of what Jesus has done, I get really excited about it. I do these little demonstrations like this, and like this, and like this. It's appropriate. Why is it appropriate? Because Jesus is awesome, that's why. And sometimes we're like, 
it's sometimes in our culture, we're like, well, I don't know about demonstrations of, you know, worship God. Have you been to a sporting event or a concert recently? Why is that where all of our celebrating is allowed? I've watched thousands of people lift their hands like this for people whose lives that nobody wants to imitate. Why can't we do this for the creator of the world who not only built a wall in 52 days, but died for your sin, died for my sin, created a church, a place, a community for us to learn about the gospel, put us on mission, retrained all of our minds and said, you're now a worshiper of me. Why can't we stand up and shout that this is great? I mean, some of you are like, why is the music so loud here? Because it's worthwhile being loud. Why do we have to always have it so quiet about what's awesome? I mean, I've never heard anyone go to a Flames game. Why do they crank that music when those flames come out? Like, what's the big deal? I've never heard that from anyone, ever. What I've heard is, awesome! I'm ready for this game! Five minutes later, they're like, crap, these guys are terrible, let's go. But that's what happens when you discuss, when you think someone has worth. You get excited about it. So, so honestly, we should be reading this as this is great. Like, I can't wait for those guys who made it to heaven in this group to tell us about how cool this was, especially that guy named Bunny and Uzi. I can't wait to meet these guys. Probably roommates, right? Both have Harleys. Tattooed with I love Nehemiah on, you know, their arms. But these guys would have been excited. And so what happens? What happens? Well, the second point, true worship adores God. And I would say this. True worship is about God, but true worship adores God. Now, that's not necessarily command. A couple of weeks ago, I tried this. I commanded you to be joyful. It didn't work. It doesn't work. I can command all I want to. I had the music queued up, celebration time, and everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. I can't, I can't do this in your heart. Because true worship is just kind of this adoration, this love that, that really comes from deep within. But it's, it's adoration. I, I you could say celebration. I use adoration because it's just like it captures this idea of respect and joy and a lot of those things. I mean, what I, what I don't want you to hear is like, you know, we crank our music to get you in the mood. No, we crank our music because the people who are leading you in the music love Jesus. And he said, crank it as loud as you want, as long as it's about me. I took him seriously at that. I told our sound guys, you don't have a choice into who we sing about, but you have a lot of choice into how loud it is. So you do what you want to do. It's worth, worthwhile celebrating. I'm tired of the world celebrating better than Christians. Doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't make sense that people worshiping the wrong thing are better at it than people worshiping the right thing. Does that make sense to you? Then sing louder. Sing with some joy if you really mean it. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of, you know, we used to have a guy here. He was like, good word all the time. He's gone. Someone's got to pick that up. You know, this is good. 
I love that. I love that expression of like something happened in this guy's heart. And if you talk to him, you could feel it in him. He loved Jesus. And it's contagious. He adored God. Some of us think that true worship is what I I do what God tells me to do. No, it's not. That doesn't come first. That comes after. You know, and it's, it's not very pleasing sometimes the way we worship because we think, oh, God's really pleased by me showing up every single Sunday and getting every one of those words for before the throne right. I would say sometimes we have this backwards. God's like, what? Like, do you actually love me? Do you adore me? Is this come out of your actual heart? Or is it? Are you just doing what you think I want? You know, if, if I'll tell you, it's not very glorifying to God. I know you do it. I know I do it. Okay? It's possible for me to preach up here and just be, you know, full of garbage. And to not mean or think anything. But if, if my wife were here, she's not. She's up with kids today, I think. Okay? But if she were here... And this has actually happened. Sometimes she has said, well, why did you buy that thing for me? Why did you buy me flowers? And I've jokingly said, because it's my duty. (laughs) That's exactly what she did. She's like, oh, come on. That's terrible. I was like, it's a joke, babe. I I do it because I love you. (laughs) But can you imagine if we walked around... All the time, and some of us do. We walk around, why do you worship God? Because He's God. Because He's, because we should. I mean, I just don't think that's very honoring to God. And I think true worship adores God. Why do you love God? Because, have you not seen what He's done for you? Like, that's, that's a true worshiper. Not because of what they say, but because you can just tell. They actually love the God that they're talking about. Brings me to the third point. Well, wait a second. Before we go there, go back, Nate. Sorry. No, sorry. Go to the third. I'll put, I'll put this in point number three. But, but and, and I've already been talking about this, true worship affects what's inside of you. And where, where do I see this? I see this in verse 27. This is, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, lyres, probably had you know, some mapex drums and maybe even a bass guitar in there. They're like, dude, dude, you, like, you have got to come and celebrate this thing. Verse 30, what does it say? And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. They're like, we want to worship God, but we want to understand that we can't worship God without some sort of atoning sacrifice for us. We can't just come the way we are. We have to have someone else change us. And so they went through all the purification rites. They, they talked to the priests. They said, what do we need to do to get right with God so that we can truly worship And then in verse 43, what does it say? And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. You don't offer sacrifice and rejoice without truly worshiping in your heart. Something went on for these people. And the women and children also rejoiced. That's not in there to be sexist. 
that is in there to say this wasn't just like something that the leaders of the families thought they should do. This was something that everyone wanted to be part of. True worship is something that happens in here. So you see how I'm starting to kind of slowly, slowly get after what true worship is about. You, you, true worship adores God, but you can't adore God if you don't love God in your heart. And I think sometimes we get this misconception that worship is about singing for God on the outside, but I don't feel like singing, so I should worship God. And this is where this tension, this battle comes, because some of you say, well, what if I don't feel like worshiping God today? I will repeat steps one through three. Go back to the gospel. Get reminded of what Jesus has done for you and work from there. That's the starting point for everything for us. Remember also that because we've got these two things going on, we're, we're created to be worshipers, but sometimes those things that are in our life, they look really good right now temporarily, and so we want to worship them because they offer to us everything that Jesus offers to us, but they do it faster. The Bible might call this idolatry. You know, it's, it's amazing. Sometimes we say, well, sin will never satisfy you. Yes, it will satisfy you, but not ultimately. Worshiping other, thing, other than God, that will be satisfying for a time, but there's no promise that will last. And you know what happens? When we're told this kind of worship towards other things will last and then it doesn't, you know what happens? We get depressed. We get frustrated. We get angry. When those promises fall out, it's like God said, told us this. He said, if you worship anyone else, eventually that pleasure, that satisfaction is going to run out. Mine won't. And sometimes he actually says, go ahead, try, try worshiping other things. See how long it lasts. For some, it takes only a couple of seconds. For others, it takes years. Some never return. They think. And again, let me explain heaven and hell like this. All that I... Not all, but one of the ways that I understand heaven and hell is this. That God said we have a choice with whom we will worship. And when we hear the good news, we can choose to worship Jesus for what he does. Or we can choose to keep worshiping ourselves, our own lives. And he says, ultimately, after you die, I'm just going to let you do this for as long as you live. As long as you exist. You just worship whatever you want. The problem is, everyone else is trying to worship what they want. And there's no help here. What heaven ultimately is, is true worshipers all the time, everywhere. That's what heaven can be described as. But anything worth worshiping, anything worthwhile is always a fight. Have you noticed this in your life? Everything you have that's worthwhile is worth fighting for, is it not? Your good job. When it starts to fade, you have a good job, it starts to fade, you start realizing, uh, this is a great job. If I don't do something, uh, I'll lose my job. What happens to us? I'll go back to school. I'll work extra hours. You start sacrificing for what you think has value. Because deep within you, you know, even if it's never been explained to you, that anything worthwhile is worth fighting for. And sometimes it is a fight. Sometimes it infringes on other things. And so some of you, I think, really struggle with, well, what happens when I don't feel like worshiping God? Remember this. If it's worthwhile, it's worth fighting for. 
And some of those things that beg, beg you to worship them are not real. Who's seen Ice Age 3 Continental Drift? Anyone? Any parents in the house? Hey, non-parents watching this. That's awesome. Okay. It's a, one of the lesser knowns, but it's, it's, you know, of course, set in the prehistoric times, I guess is the best way to put it, where all the, the uh, woolly mammoths speak. And there's a, a, a <laughs> so there, yeah, anyways. Um, so there's this one scene where the, the, uh, the woolly mammoth and his clan are trying to kind of get back to, to save his daughter. You know, he's trying to sacrifice for his daughter. It's this beautiful picture. And yet there's this image that's kind of transposed from Greek mythology back onto the prehistoric times. And it's this, this image of these, uh, they're, they're sirens. Who knows what a siren is? Okay. For those of you who don't know what a siren is from Greek mythology, they're people, they're women, beautiful women that used to, um, they used to sing with these beautiful voices. And as the, the, the Greek sailors would travel past them on the island, these beautiful women with beautiful voices would sing. And they would sing such a beautiful song that the sailors would kind of turn in and go toward the island. But, but those weren't beautiful women. They were sirens. They were trying to lure the sailors to their death. And because the, the ships would turn, then they would crash upon the rocks and the sirens would then take all the loot. And so even in this continental drift story, there's these, these images of these, you know, everything they imagine that they're seeing, you know, a, a beautiful, you know, saber-toothed tiger. That's what the tiger imagines. And, then, and the woolly mammoth is like the beautiful wife mammoth. And, you know, the sloth is like this really gorgeous sloth. That's what they image. But then they come close and something happens and it's like, oh, that's not really what it is. And sin is like this. It looks like that. It looks really beautiful on the outside, but you get close and you're like, yeah, this is no lasting power whatsoever. And some of you have discovered this the hard way. You're like, you know, sex with whoever I want seems like a great thing. And then you get into it and you're like, yeah, this is no good. Money. You know, oh, having lots of money is really good. And then you get closer, you're like, this is my, my life's harder now than it was before. This is no good. You know, I, I, being single is difficult. I want to be married. And then you get, kind of get closer, you're like, wait a second here. <laughs> but, you know, this is perpetual in our society. That sin has this way of looking so good. But you get close enough into it, you spend long enough in it, and you will find it fades. And I understand that battle. I'm also a sinner, by the way. I'm, I'm one of you in this. I'm one of the worst of you in this. And I know that from personal experience because those sirens change the way they look all the time for me. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's this, but no matter what, ultimately no one gives the satisfaction and the durability like Jesus. And so I understand that tension, but I would say this. What happens when you don't feel like worshiping God on your inside? Does that mean you just put up a front? I would say no, it doesn't mean you put up a front, but it does mean you go back to the gospel and recognize, okay, what's real here? Who's got the real promises here? And you discover that.
Fourthly, true worship affects what's outside of you. There's always been in history these two camps. Some that say worship is only what's inside of you. Some that would say worship is only what's outside of you. So there are some churches, some denominations, some kind of um, trains of thought where it's like, well, as long as I do all the external stuff, I'm worshiping. And then there's some that say, well, it only matters what's inside. But actually, true worshipers understand that although it begins on the inside, it never stops being on the outside. There's always this deep connection to both. I see this in the text over and over again. Verse 27, so the people are excited that God has built the wall, and what do they do? We've got to sing about this stuff. Well, let's get some bands together. It's kind of a cool part. They, they, they don't just get some bands together. Like the wall, uh, from what excavators say, is about nine feet wide. That's a wide wall, by the way, hey? Still very impressive what they did. So this is what they do. They're like, I got this. This is going to be awesome. Let's get some bands, and let's put them on top of the wall. Like, what kind of concert is that? That's an amazing... It's like, your band's going to play over here. My band's going to play over here. And we see even at the end of the text, they can hear this everywhere. I mean, this is a concert that's not underbased. This is a concert that has a number of subs and tweeters along the wall that everyone can hear what's going on. Starts in the inside, but it does move to the outside. Verse 31, uh, uh, like we, we've got this purification process that we got, 30, uh, we got this purification process. 31, I bring leaders in and, and, and basically say, you guys are band leaders, come up with some songs, write some stuff about God. And then verse 40, says, both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, I and half the officials. It's like they were walking to the temple, like they're walking around the, the, the temple. They couldn't go in because they weren't priests, but they... They, they walked around. And then verse 45. It was like, okay, this isn't enough. You know what? If these guys are going to be great band leaders who talk about what God has done, then we've got to pay them. Because this is, this is not like a whatever-you-can-afford concert. This is we've got to get some... We've got, we got to finance these guys. And so they, 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 uh, they go into the storerooms and the contributions and the first fruits and the tithes, the stuff that they had gathered for God. And they said, okay, well, we need to take some of these funds and these resources and we need to help these band leaders to keep this stuff going. Verse 47, which says, um, not only that, but we, we've, got to, we've got to look at Scripture and see what they used to do. And so you see this internal worship, this adoration of God, this true worship that starts inside but then comes outside. And I want to remind you of this, that you will not truly worship until your adoration for God starts to move out in your activity of life. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. You do not worship exclusively on the outside, but if you never do, I don't believe you've ever worshipped on the inside. Because every single time Scripture says God does something in people's hearts, He always said there's a, there's a reaction to this. You know, I, I, I see this sometimes. And I call people on it sometimes. They'll walk up to me. Hey, how's it going? Good. No smile. Good, I'm doing great. It's like, mm, no, you're not. Are you doing great? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing awesome. I'm so happy right now. 
can't believe my good fortune. Do you know anyone who does that? When you see them do that, what do you think? You're lying. You're lying. I can see it all over your face. You can see it with your posture. My, my late mother-in-law used to have this saying. It was like, if you're happy, tell your face. I love that. Because she was like, you can't say you're happy and expect that people are going to gather this. Something happens. So even in the way that we think and function, like we say I'm a true worshiper of God, but I don't really care about his church. That, that's, that's not possible. There's some people like, I'm, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I just don't love his family. Nope. Doesn't work. This always moves into something. Some say, I love God with everything, but not my wallet or my time. And I point to those two things because those are the easiest ones to go after. If you want to find out what or who you truly worship, take a look at your schedule. Take a look at what you spend your money on. Especially, I would say, take a look at what you do with your free time. Take a look at what you do with the extra money you have. It should tip you off into what you really care about, who you really adore. Secondly, take a careful watch of your own life and watch what happens to you when your favorite things that you didn't think were your favorite things are taken away. Have you ever watched this? Oh, man, that that doesn't mean much to me. And someone takes it away. They're like, well, I can't believe that was taken away from me. Now, I'm not going to say this every time, but just watch this. This is the way you find out how your internal worship and your external worship works. And I think God gives us external responses to worship because he said these things will help you understand what's inside. So he doesn't say, you know, um, external is what only what matters, but he says the external will tell what's going on. And this is why he uses all these illustrations of things like fruit and trees. And he basically says, how do you know someone saves is take a look at the fruit. What he's saying there is, how do you know a tree is an apple tree, an orange tree? What do you do? You look at the fruit, don't you? If you say you're an orange tree and those are clearly mangoes, what would you say? You're not an orange tree. You're a mango tree. I can tell that by your fruit. It doesn't matter how many oranges you staple on your tree. You're not an orange tree. Some of us function like this in worship. We're like, well, I want to be an orange tree for Jesus. And so I'll just staple a bunch of oranges on my tree. And then Jesus can tell. He's like, you're clearly an apple tree. What changes what kind of fruit you bear as a tree? The seed. Something that's determined long before. You're an apple tree when you're grown from an apple seed. And that's why Jesus said, well, you know, someone's like, how can it be, you know, by the kingdom of God, how would I produce apples? He's like, you got, we got to rewrite the whole program. I got to make you in an apple tree right from the get go. And so here's what I'm, here's how I'm saying it. You must be born again. How do you do that? How do you be born to make this kind of fruit? You must be born again, friends. Some of you are trying to be worshipers by trying to staple moral activities to your life and that makes you a worshiper. No, it doesn't. It makes you a fraud. How silly would it be if you came over to my house and I bragged about 
this great apple tree in my front yard, and you were like, oh, that's like scotch tape, and uh, those are mangoes. Uh, do we tell him what an idiot he is, or do we just wait on that? How terrible, would, what, what happens in one week? What happens? Those, those oranges are all rotten, or those mangoes. I'm lost in the metaphor now, by the way. I don't know what tree I'm planting. Bear with me. But those things, they die, and we're so confused. They leave it so hopeless. Well, I, I thought this was an orange tree. No, no. You need to be born again. You need to be a true worshiper on the inside. Nothing can do that. Nothing, no amount of worship that you say you do can do this. You must be changed by Jesus Christ. How do you do that? The Bible says it's simple, through faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and changed into someone that can produce fruit for him. Again, this all goes back to what you think about the gospel. How you understand Jesus. This all goes back to your faith in that. No amount of dressing up whatever you do. No amount of showing up to city group. No amount of showing up to Sunday morning. No amount of singing before the throne. No amount of playing before the, before the throne will get you there. No amount of taking communion. No amount of prayer. Jesus Christ must do it for you. That's the gospel. And if you're not there, my, my friend, ask. Jesus, change my heart. Change my heart. I don't want to be someone who fakes it. I don't want to be a fraud. I want to be a true worshiper of you so that I will naturally produce the fruit that you designed me to produce. Fifthly, I'll whip through these. True worship considers the past. This is interesting. This kind of, again, goes back to this whole gospel issue. True worship considers the past. It's really fascinating for me. That when they're designing their bands, they don't look forward, they look backward. This is fascinating. Verse 46 says this. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So there was no mandate that said you have to do this. There was when it came to the priesthood and the sacrifice, right? If you want to be, have your sins atoned for, you had a lamb and that lamb's neck or that bull's neck was slit and bled out and sacrificed for you. But there was no command that said you have to sing. That was something that was very natural. And so they said, well, we'd like to sing. What should we do? And so they looked to the past and they said, well, what did David do? How did Dave, what did David write about? How did he sing? And I would say this to you, that most of our stumbling through the Christian life, most of our frustration with what God is doing in our life is because we don't take the time to look back at the cross and what it's done for us. Have you noticed this in your own life? This is why things like journaling are helpful. This is why things like city group and friends are so helpful. This is why writing things down is so helpful. Because, because when we write them down, we have a record of what God does. Have you ever gone through an old journal and went, wow, have I ever come a long way from there? Anyone done that? Oh, you're all perfect, I guess. Awesome. I've done that. I'm like, I wrote that? 
And I think this is this is this is David. Or the, or sorry, this is Nehemiah and his people in these bands going. Well, what did David write about? And again, I want you to see things like reading scripture like this. Why should you read scripture? Because it's the right thing to do? No, because it is the record of what God has been doing for centuries. That's why. If you want to know how God is going to act in the future in your time, look at what he's been doing for thousands of years. It will give you some hints. We, did, we went through this last week when we talked about Jesus' high priest. Why did that make so much sense to the people who first heard it? Because they knew for thousands of years this is what priests did. So if they knew that then and they go, well, Peter, all Peter does is he says, you're still priests, but you're a different kind of priest. Now they've got like thousands of years of record of what this looks like. And I think too often... We can't worship well because we have not been able just to look at the past of what God has done in our lives. We monitor our life by what's happening now. I'm depressed now. God must not exist. Take some time. Think about what God has been doing for the last five years. Let's just put that. The last ten years. You will find God sure has been doing a lot. He's been at work a lot in my life. If you're frustrated with God, where God is, if you feel like you can't worship, this is why we sing so much about God and what he has done. Okay? We're using this as kind of our grid for even how we choose our songs. Because so many, even, even so many songs are about what is going on with me right now. And in some ways, they're, they're difficult to sing because of that tension we're talking about. I don't feel like worshiping God right now, but I'm singing. I could sing of your love forever. Anyone ever struggle to sing that song, maybe? Stuff that you see on the screen, you're like, that's not true about me. I struggle to sing that. Do you know, usually we have trouble singing stuff that's about us. Like, I will never doubt your existence. Well, that's not true. I can't sing that. (laughs) I've seen you answer every prayer I've had. Well, that's not true. I can't sing that. You see, even the way way we, we sing our songs... What I'm telling our band leaders is pick songs that are about God, because if they're about God, they're about things that never change. Like God is always faithful. That's true. God died on the cross. That's true. God paid for my sins. That's true. No matter how you feel. God's God held off the wrath of God through the cross. That's true. It doesn't matter how you feel on that particular day. You can sing that. God washed away my sin. There's nothing but the blood that can carry away my sin. That's true, even if today you don't feel it. You're not lying when you sing that. Thank you. White guy in the front. True worship, I think, so helped by just considering the past. Lastly, true worship advertises for God. One of the things that I thought about on the way over here was, is this church irrelevant? Does anyone even know that we're going on? We need to do what Nehemiah did. We've got to get permission from Ken to get our bands up on the roof of this thing. I'm just kidding, Ken, if you're in the back there. So it's a joke. Seriously, it's a joke. We would fall through. But you see that in the text, how true worship advertises. They were not afraid to get up and explain, our God is awesome. 
They were not afraid of this. It was everywhere. You look all the way through the text. All you can see is, hey, we're doing this. Why don't you join this big celebration right at the very end? Right? You hear this. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. They cranked the music. You could hear it. It advertises, and I would say true worship advertises for God. Too often we think about, if I I would share more of my faith, I would share more about God if I knew what to say. And I would say, tell people what God has done in your life. Don't try to come up with four ways that God could redeem them. Tell them how God has redeemed you. Just so you know, in our culture, personal story is at an all-time respectable high. You can almost say anything if you tell them personal and maybe cry a bit. It's worked for me. Most of what my preaching comes from is what I'm going through the text. It's not exclusive. I'm trying to help you. But most of what's going on is like, this makes sense to me. So how do I how do I advertise for God? I just tell you about what God is doing in my life. I'm just telling you about what I see in my own family. I'm just telling you what I see in my own culture. I'm t- just telling you the experiences that I'm having. And it's amazing how often this connects. Personal story is at an all-time high in our culture. Again, this is why reality television is taking off. All of us want to see what other people's stories are really like. I think like 10 years ago or something, 12 years ago, there were three reality television shows. Now there's like 300 or 500. I mean, that's the majority of show. Why? Because it's about personal story. Because people want to know how other people are actually living. Even those shows that are kind of fake, like E! or channels that are kind of... Anyone secretly watch E! Don't put up your hand, okay? I've glanced at it when it's on while I'm changing the channels. Don't judge me. TMZ is funny. But we want to see what these actual movie stars live like, don't we? I went on a tour last year when we were in L.A. Um, Now I'm talking big shot. I've been to L.A. once in my life. Okay? And when I went there, we went on the TMZ tour, and all all we talked about all the time was about where other people went for restaurants. It was unbelievable. I was kind of like half guilty, half embarrassed that I went. But it was actually kind of fun. And the, the guy was a stand-up comedian, so it was pretty good. But it's interesting. Like the two, We're talking a two-hour tour of like, hey, one time Brad Pitt stood outside this Taco Bell. <laughs> we're so impressed with his personal story. Like right there? Really? Right there? And I thought like I was like, oh, man, maybe I'm going over the top. And then you, like, you should hurt other people. It's like who watched TV? TMZ, and everyone's like, every episode, just hunger for how other people live. Do you know there are people all over our city that are hungry for how you live your life? They're saying, he's a Christian. I want to know, what's it like to be a Christian? Tell me about this. Can you actually, like, play good music and be a Christian? Is that possible? Because I kind of grew up, that wasn't really possible. How do Christians dress? How do they, what do they drink? Or do they drink? There are people all over our city that are actually curious about how a Christian does this. And we think we've got to come up with all kinds of new ways. Tell your story about what God has done. It will advertise itself. 
when someone says, how do you know God exists? You say, well, then explain me. Explain why I would reorder my whole life around this. You say, oh, my life isn't reordered around Jesus. I would say, then you need to get back to the cross again. That's why you need to show up every week, because you need to hear this all the time until you can just say it. Because it's what you really believe. True worshipers, friends, are those who love Jesus. Starts in their heart, moves outside, and advertises and brings glory to God. And this is exactly what happens in the text. It's one of the last things we hear. This actually reaches people. And so we're, we're going to continue our worship. We, we're not just going to start worshiping. Worship doesn't start and stop when music starts and stops. It's one of the ways we corporately worship together and express what's going on in our heart. And one of the ways that we worship is we just were specifically given something very symbolic by Jesus for us. He knew that true worship ultimately got outside. And so he said, I'm going to give these people some handles, some things that they can do to experience my love. And one of those things was the Lord's Supper. Some of us have isolated this and put this in a category where this is just like something I do to make God happy. That is not why he gave you the Lord's table. He gave you the Lord's table because if you are confused about what he did for you, you can see it here. You don't believe this is true. You don't believe that the gospel is true. Well, then why for thousands of years have churches been recognizing this? You think we're just keeping this up? We're not. We do it every week. And what does this symbolize? This symbolizes the pure, raw power of God. He really broke his real body. It was a Jewish body. And he came within a minute or two of his life being beaten as an act of suffering and sacrifice and love for you to show you how much God's hated sin, but how much he loved you. That's represented in the bread. Don't misunderstand that even as we break it, we're symbolizing what happened to Jesus. What else is symbolized here? The shed blood. The Bible says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood symbolizes his death. There is no ultimate sacrifice, or that is the ultimate sacrifice for someone. If you love someone with everything you have, what would you do for them? You would die for them. This is Jesus here symbolized in our wine, grape juice, gluten-free grape juice. This is Christ's love for you. If you are not a Christian here this morning, I would say there's no sense in partaking of this because you're just, it's, it's, in some ways it's fraudulent. It's proclaiming something that you do not yet believe. But I wouldn't say that to try and stop you from taking. I would say what's stopping you from believing? Believe in your heart. This is a call to say, believe in the Jesus who hung on the cross for you. And then celebrate that with the rest of us by partaking. Tom, would you lead us in songs about God?